Welcome to Awaken Church Online. In today's message, Pastor Dean Yoder transitions from talking about individual identities to our collective identity as the body of Christ. Our recent messages have been centered around our individual identities in Christ, and I just offer a little bit of a transition of thought uh, from, I don't know if this is the, the next thing or not, but as we transition out of talking about our unique identities in Christ, I wanted to talk about a little bit about how your unique identity in Christ, when we come together, creates a, a unique identity of group of people, the whole. Some people would call it corporate. I don't like to use that word necessarily because it makes it sound like I think the church is a corporation, which I don't. I don't think the church is a corporation, but as a group, as a body, I think we're a family. That's how I would like to look at it. We're a family, a family of believers. But no matter if you're in a denominational church or not, you would like to think it's a you know, denomination or we're going to be the same. It, when you have a unique set of people, you have a, a unique identity that comes out of that about who you are our unique identities combined, it contributes to creating a greater functioning force to accomplish the will of God. And I said contributes because that just, just because we know our identities and just because we all come together, it doesn't guarantee that there's cohesiveness that gets results. Uh, sometimes it can still seem like we're ineffective and and sometimes even when we are accomplishing what we want to do, it doesn't guarantee that um, that what we're doing is, is attractive to people. And um, here's a little story that kind of is funny to illustrate that, is that I'm sure you've heard this one before. Um, um, a little boy c- comes over to the neighbor's house and said he wanted to earn some extra money. And um, the man of the house, uh, the house said, yes, you can paint my porch, right? And so um, an hour goes by, and the little boy knocks on the door and says, I'm done. And the, the guy looks out and he goes, well, I don't, I don't see anything painted out here at all. I didn't, you didn't do anything. He said, oh, no, the car's in the garage. You said you wanted to paint the Porsche. <laughs> right? So, so right? Um, sometimes we get excited about ministering to people and we don't meet the need. We're not, we don't hit the spot. And so, or maybe we're on the wrong page. And, and so it was, it was kind of effective. We got the job done, we thought, but we didn't quite get the job done. Like I, earlier this summer, I, I thought I'd help my brother-in-law in mowing for him. And he has two lawn mowers and a, a bigger one and a smaller one. And I thought, he's really going to like what I've done here. And then come to find out, he's like, actually... I usually bag that part. I don't usually just leave the grass out there because it kills the rest of the lawn. I'm like, oh, oh, sorry. My ministry wasn't quite as effective as I thought it was going to be. But um, to me, what's effective in ministry is truth. Truth is attractive and effective. And somehow Jesus does this with a woman brought to him in adultery, and you know she's guilty. And somehow he says, go and sin no more, and she feels loved when she walks away. I'm not sure how he did that, because it seems like anytime I've identified like my kids sin, they don't really feel loved all the time. <laughs> you know, if, when, when Beth and I uh, point out each other's uh, faults or whatever, sometimes it doesn't necessarily feel like you walk away feeling loved, but somehow Jesus did that. His, his ministry was attractive and effective. And I think truth at the core in love really um, 
hits the mark. That's what I say. And um, so this boils down to me, to culture. Like, Like knowing how to function well together as a body so that we're effective and we're attractive um, because f- functioning well together is actually attractive itself, right? When, when we come into a situation and we are loving each other well through what we are actually doing, it's effective, but it's actually very attractive. There's like, hey, how do those people get along and like each other? How is that? How is it they can go into um, dirty, nasty situations out in, into the world and serve and, and minister to people, but they actually get along and get the job done, and they seem that's that's actually attractive to people. And so, culture um, to me is 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 knowing how we do things, and knowing how we do things to me is as important as knowing the things we have to do, right? Knowing how we do things is as important to me as knowing what we have to do. Because we don't want to just go in and get the job done. We want something to be attractive and effective. And, and when we're doing things together, um, sometimes things can get a little sideways. But if we have some core values and practices in place, which, which are kind of what culture is, Miriam Webster says culture is a set of shared attitudes, values, goals, and practices that characterize an institution or an organization, in our case, a family. In our case, a family. The practices and the values and the goals like of how we want to work together can be set and they can be really healthy and really effective or they can be really unhealthy too because sometimes um, like, nobody wants a tyrant. Uh, you know, like, oh, it's my way or the highway. That's, that's not one of the cultures we want to have in place here. My way or the highway. That's not one. We want to try to work together. We want to be open. We want to flow. We want to flow in love. We want to hear each other. We want to communicate. And how we handle those communications, how we handle um, conflict, can, actually, can be really attractive or it can be really unattractive. Right? And so, like, part of our responsibility as leaders is try to decide how, um, how do we look at the Bible and what it says about how we, how we do that, what we said is important culture. So culture to me is, is really, really important because we're, we're actually going to be working towards getting each one of you, you know, equipped into who you are in your personal identity. So we come together, the corporate I- identity, and then, you know, the, the culture is kind of the grease that keeps everything moving smooth, smoothly. Um, it's, it's the water around the fish, you know, it's kind of like gets you where you want to go. Um, so, so one of the things that strikes me, I'm gonna that I that I value highly, and that I think we all probably do already, that we're going to talk about a little bit, is kingdom culture. And there's probably tons of books and things that have been written on it. I can't remember if I've really just read one called that or something. But um, for me. Uh, Thinking as people a part of the kingdom of God, and what is the culture of the kingdom? And so um, it's not going to be full spectrum this morning. This is just a small snippet of, of my thoughts on that and, and, the, what, and some of the things from the scripture. And the kingdom of God 
is like I want us to remember the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We learned, we learned that's what the Bible says. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It says the kingdom of Jesus said this a lot. The kingdom of God is at hand, meaning it's 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 within reach. Okay? If something, remember, if it's not in hand, it's out of reach. I can't get it. So like sometimes I think we feel that the kingdom is a little out of reach or, or things in this life, success or um, complete fullness, fulfillness is out of reach. I can't reach it. But Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I can get it. I can take it. And now the kingdom of God is in me. That's another thing he says. The kingdom of God is at hand and the kingdom of God is within us. And the other thing I want us to remember is that the kingdom of God starts out small inside of you. It starts out small. It's like a mustard seed. And I didn't look for a picture of a mustard seed, but I do remember when I worked at the seed cleaning plant, the grass seed cleaning plant, that the guy in charge of it, I was just in high school, and the guy in charge of it would come out after the, the seed went through the cleaners, and the cleaners were a set of screens and air set to certain velocities to try to get rid of the weeds. And so he would take a handful of the seed and he'd start going through it. And I just thought, well, that looks all like clean seed to me, right? And then he'd stop and he'd go, okay, see that right there? And I'm like, yeah, that speck of dirt? He goes, no, it's not dirt. It's actually hard. You could feel it was hard a little bit. He said, that is a weed, that's a weed seed. And it looked like about the size of the head of a pin, right? And I thought, that's small. <laughs> that's really small. And the, it, said, it says in the Bible, the mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds. And it starts out small inside of you. And I know that some of you have been um, in your own lives, but also in people's lives that you know, you feel like you've been planting seeds and that nothing is happening in their lives or in your lives. But that deposit that you just made is small. It, start, it might be small. Don't expect it to go boom like this, but eventually it says this mustard seed grows into something large and beautiful that, that is strong enough and attractive where birds will nest in it. So, so it becomes visible. You know, it starts out invisible almost, but it grows. And I want to encourage you to keep looking after those God has put in your care and that he's called you to encourage because the seeds you planting are planting. You might not even see them, but someday they might produce something attractive. So the kingdom of God is, is within us. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is small like a mustard seed and it grows large enough to be attractive. But here's the most important thing that I want you to remember about the kingdom of God and that's it's a kingdom because it has a king. All right? It's king. It's our king, Jesus. <clears throat> and, and he's our focus. He is our focus. I know that it is hard to not look at the train wreck right now. It's really hard not to focus on the train wreck. I mean, they say don't look. You're like, oh my gosh, it seems crazy out there. It's hard to take our eyes off the sin problem in the world. 
But, but honestly, the sin problem in the world has been dealt with. All right? The sin problem in the world has been dealt, dealt with. And our eyes need to be focused on, on Jesus. They need to be focused on his kingdom because that is the solution to the problem. That's the solution to the problem. In transition just a little bit here through Mark 4, 11, and 12. Um, I'm going to look at. I'm going to try to talk a little bit what I believe Jesus wishes for us a little bit. Um, so Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus always talked in parables. And when I was young, or still, even sometimes, I think, oh, parables actually help me understand what's going on. So I, I always kind of believe Jesus spoke in parables to help people understand. But let's read this in Mark 4, 11 through 12. He's replying to his disciples because they asked about the parables he spoke in. And it says, he replied, The mystery of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything <clears throat> excuse me, is expressed in parables. Okay, why? So that they may be and this is him quoting um, scripture from the prophets in previous books of the Bible. It says, So that they may, may be ever seen, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Uh, Jesus, are you telling me you don't want people to be forgiven? I like, you read that and I'm like, you kind of just want to skip over that he just said that. So I'm going to speak confusing to them a little bit in words that seem confusing. They think they know what I'm saying, but they actually don't know what I'm saying. It's the mysteries of the kingdom has been given to you, he says, the disciples. And so I'm like, what is it that you really want, Lord? What is it that you really want from people? Because it's, it's obvious to me that he does want them forgiven. But for some reason, when he speaks to the people while he is on earth with them, he speaks in parables so that they would see but not perceive. They would hear but never understand because they might turn and be forgiven, which I thought was the purpose. So effective and attractive ministry to me is, is being able to give the mystery of the kingdom of heaven to, pe to people as opposed to giving them principles of living a good life that does not get them into the kingdom of heaven. See, the kingdom of heaven is entered by revelation, not by forgiveness. And up here, he's saying, I'm just going to speak to them in the mysteries, and i let the cat out of the bag a little bit if I can. I, I, I feel like Jesus is saying, I don't want him to get the principle without knowing the prince. Like, it's revelation of Jesus as Christ, the Son of the living God. And we're going to read that here in just a second. That gets you into the kingdom. It's revelation, not just forgiveness. You see, John... <coughs> Where did that come from? Forgiveness 
I'm, I'm going to see if this ties in or not. Forgiveness can be asked for and it can be received, but forgiveness, <laughs> see, forgiveness can be asked for and it can be received or not received, but forgiveness is given by the offended, not the offender. All right? Kind of remember that a little bit. And John the Baptist made a splash when he came into the world with a message that the kingdom of heaven was at hand or near, and he preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. That's Mark 4 and Luke 1-3, I believe. So I have written down here. He preaches a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. So he's saying instead of having to go give your animal sacrifices like they have had to for years to get forgiveness, now all they have to do is turn and be forgiven. Go the other way. Your forgiveness when you turn, when you change your ways. So that forgiveness is available. It's right there. But Jesus was saying, I'm going to be careful how I speak to people, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven, which was the message that John the Baptist was bringing, which seems a little bit confusing to me. And don't get me wrong, this is all good news that that we don't have to go give sacrifices at an altar or at a temple to get rid of our sin. But remember, you can't forgive your own sins. Not against me, not against God, not against your neighbor, without forgiveness being offered. So when John says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, and preaches repentance for forgiveness, that all you have to do is turn around to be forgiven of sins, he is saying that forgiveness is being offered under one condition, and that is is that you turn away. You stop what you're doing. But you turning from your sinful ways does not get you into the kingdom. This is why I believe Jesus spoke in parables. There's a, I think there's a lot of good people who turn from their wicked ways. I know I have a lot of good people who, who know people who used to be, let's just say, let's think, what's a, a murder? Used to be a murderer, right? And they haven't ever done it again. And they're sorry for it. They've repented. But that doesn't get them into heaven. And they actually might feel, and you can, we can take it in smaller levels, where, yeah, I used to steal. I used to be hard on my neighbor. I used to do this, but somehow, you know, they learn a long, a long time ago that, that that's not proper, that's not right, and they turn from that way, and the, there is forgiveness for that, and they're walking in forgiveness and comfort, but they're missing out on who the person, that, who, who the originator of forgiveness is, who actually, um, they're missing out on King Jesus. They're missing out on the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And they can go the rest of their lives living a good life, but they actually haven't ever encountered God. The standard for any in the kingdom of God isn't your sins are forgiven. That's, that's, that's part of it. Sins have been forgiven. It's revelation and confession of that revelation of who the forgiver is. Remember this story in Matthew 16? It says, Now when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, So these are the people that heard the parables. 
Jesus is asking, who are the people, who, the people who are hearing me speak in the parables, who are they saying that I am? And he said, the, the, the disciples said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets, one of those guys. And then he said to him, but, but who do you say that, that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Which rock? The rock that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what the church gets built on. That's what we're believers. That's the anchor point. That's the bottom line. That's who we are. We are people who Jesus, the Father, has revealed himself to us through Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's what gets us into the kingdom. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he gave the disciples strict orders that they were to tell no one that he was a Christ. You know what hell can't handle? Hell can't handle you knowing that Jesus is the Son of God. Because revelation comes from the Father, and and that door isn't just opened up completely by knowing your sins are forgiven. You get there by knowing who the forgiver is and what he is. See, 1 Peter 2.24 gives us even something a little better. It says, He himself brought our sins in his body upon the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you were healed. Jesus didn't just forgive our sins. He took them on himself. He bore them, which actually does more than forgive. It heals It wipes away. It's as though the offense has never happened. He doesn't want you to stop at just being forgiven. He wants you to know. He wants to know you. And he wants you to know him. This is what what gets you born again. This is what gets you eternal life. It's revelation. It's relationship. This is, this, is not, this is not a scary passage for us right here. This is the next one. This isn't meant to be scary at all. It, it's just the truth, okay? This is just Jesus being honest and giving us a little fair warning here. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, because I didn't write the reference down. Um, I think I wrote it down for Carmen, didn't I? Maybe I didn't. Okay. I forgot it. But not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And we cast out demons in your name? Did we perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Leave me, 
you who practice lawlessness. I thought the will of God was that we did those things. I I thought that was the will of God, that we heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead. I I thought that's what he said. But he just said right here, like, but I don't, like those people, some, some, some of those people aren't going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because the will of God is that you know him and that he knows you. That's the will of God. The will of God is that he knows you and that you know him. Then you're free to roam about the cabin and heal all you want. Now you can prophesy from a place of him knowing you and you knowing him. Without him knowing you, we were just practicing principles that work. This isn't a practice principles church. We aren't, and we aren't ignoring the train wreck. We're not trying to ignore the train wreck outside. We just want to make sure that we are focusing on Jesus. What was it? Josh Converse told me a few weeks ago at work. He said, with all the chaos, with all the stuff going on, he was in a place of not knowing what the truth is, along with his co-workers. And he finally all of a sudden realized he didn't need to know what the truth is because he knows who the truth is. And he said this to his co-workers, and I'm sorry for stealing your, your story, Josh, but it all struck us really well. When he told his co-workers, I don't know what the truth is, I know who the truth is, they went, whoop, a seed got planted. A seed got planted. The kingdom of God now had been spoken into their life, truth, And it started to bloom right away in some of them. And now they're asking Josh questions. And now they're talking to their families. The world doesn't have a forgiveness problem. All they have to do is turn. All they have to, like, like our sin is already covered by the work on the cross. Your neighbor's sins are covered by the work on the cross. They need revelation and relationship with Jesus. And when we come together and have a, a culture, a kingdom culture that is focused on Jesus and that is focused on relationship with each other and how we do things and how we do things well, it's going to be effective and attractive. And that's, that's, that's my hope. That's my hope for the future. That's what I, I see the possibilities of not that we all agree with each other all the time. But no, what we do agree on, that Jesus is the... Look at the disciples. They are constantly at each other. But they said, we believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we all can move from that revelation. Thank you for joining us today on Awaken Church Online. To learn more about the church, visit our website, awakenchurchmac.com.